You know, a, uh, preachers, uh, preachers are sometimes fragile. And, and I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, a few years ago, I was going out. I, I don't remember what the topic was, but it was a special topic I was asked to preach on. And, and it was a difficult topic. And, and I got done with it. And somebody met me at the door. And boy, they were just eager to grab my hand. And they just squeezed my hand and shook it and said, I want to tell you, I want you to know that I'd like to tell you that's the best sermon on that topic I have ever heard in my life. And before I could say thank you in the middle of it, he said, but I can't. And so, you know, it's kind of a, it sounded good for a second, but then it just kind of went south on me. Uh, this morning, someone who will remain unnamed said, I'm going to try to go through this service without using any pain medications today. So it, it could be because he had hand surgery, but uh, I don't know just how you take it. I want to talk about uh, what we owe each other. Uh, we're a community. We're a family. We're, we're a body of believers that come from, oh, such a wide range of backgrounds. It would be interesting sometimes just to sit down and, and tell your story, you know, and and uh, where you came from and how you got to be here. It's a wide variety of stories that brought us all here, but we're here because we're family. Jesus has brought us together and he has crossed all kind of boundaries or allowed us to cross all kind of boundaries that would uh, otherwise exist in our lives, but they don't in Christ. Um, sometimes uh, we, we end up owing other people some things. We shouldn't, but we do. A number of, uh, well, just a few years ago, I went to uh, Ingalls right after church. And, oh, I got a buggy full of stuff, and I got up there, and, and Miranda and her mother pulled in right behind me with their buggy, buggy, and and I'm going through, and the woman checks everything out and says, it'll be X amount of money, and I reach back to get my wallet. I didn't have my wallet. I was like, oh, no, how embarrassing, because they're, they're right behind me in line. They had to pay for my groceries that night, and uh, I think they got mileage out of that, but... Uh, it was, uh, you know, I had to basically say, I owe you, and um, not what you want to do. But I'll tell you what, Paul made use of an IOU in Philemon. If you remember in Philemon, uh, there's one chapter, but he was wanting Philemon to take back Onesimus, that runaway slave, and to take him back as a brother. And And here's what he says. He says, I, verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. And then he says, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Here's what's taking place here, if, you, if you've missed it. Paul used secretaries um, to, to actually write his, and, and they sign off on several of the, the New Testament books. Uh, he dictated to them and they would write it down. But here we come to a point in Paul's letter to Philemon. He says, listen now, I'm writing with my own handwriting now. I'm writing this myself. No secretary. I'm doing the writing here. And what I'm writing is, if, if, uh, if Onesimus has cost you anything, I'm good for it. 
you just tell me how much I owe you. He, he wrote Philemon an IOU. But he did couch it in these terms. Now, you know, you can put this on my account and, and demand that I pay, and I will. But I want to remind you that uh, your salvation is because I brought you to Christ. And are you really going, you know, if anybody owes anybody anything, don't you think you owe me for what I've done for you? And I'm sure they kind of just called them it even on that occasion. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul talks about our relationship to government and to civil authorities. But then he gets down, he talks about, oh, no man anything. That's what he says. Don't owe anyone anything. But then he says, except. Okay, so there is one thing that we owe each other. And as family, let's fulfill this responsibility. If, if I owe you something, I, I need to pay up. And if you owe me something, you need to pay up. Paul says we owe each other something. Well, what is it? He said, owe no one anything, verse 8, except... To love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. That's what we owe each other. We owe each other love. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter that, uh, verse 2, verse, or chapter 2, verse 17, that we're to, um, love the brotherhood. That's beyond this family here. That's down the road and across the nation and, and, uh, across the world. Love the brotherhood. But here's my question, and this is what I want to spend a little bit of time on with you this morning, is how do we do that? You know, it's one thing to say, I love you, but how do you show love? Um, and I think maybe it's even a little bit different the way you have love for your family and your, your immediate family, your, you know, your interaction day to day in the house. Um, but, but how do we show love to those of us who are in the house of God? What does that look like? Because I know that John doesn't want, and John says, listen, don't love in word only, but love in deed, in, in the way we act. So how do we show ourselves here? How do we show ourselves love? And let's make sure that we do it because we owe that to each other. There's an IOU with your name written on it that says to the church here, I owe you love. And I owe you love. So let's talk about how we fulfill it. Number one, and the first thing is this, love demands that we be tolerant of each other. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ also forgave you. We need to be tolerant. That's one way that love expresses itself. We, we need to be tolerant of each other and, and being not hard-hearted. You, you've met people that are just, there's a, there's a sharp edge to them and, and abrasiveness that, that, that's not what love is about. Love is kind. Love is tender-hearted. Love is patient. And so when people make mistakes in this family, you know what I owe them? I owe them tolerance. 
kindness, patience, forbearing, um, tenderheartedness. But I'll tell you what, if you think, well, that's, yeah, I got it, I got it, I, I understand that. A whole bunch of folks apparently don't. Because you, you think, you, you look at church problems and, and at the root of them, most of them start within, don't they? Not too long ago, I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if all of our problems stemmed from the world? Wouldn't it be great if we reached a point where what we were fighting was the world and not ourselves? How many churches have divided? How much conflict? How many people sit over here because somebody's sitting over here? Uh, in churches across our land. How many people won't go out the same door because they don't want to bump into each other and don't speak to each other and, and rally, you know, sympathizers uh, to, to stand against or oppose to somebody else in the congregation that's done this or that to them. Love demands better than that. There are still a lot of people that uh, have failed to love their brethren. Um, here are some suggestions Bef- before you get angry with someone sitting in the pews next to you. Consider these things. First of all, do, do you think that the a- the action or the word that was spoken? Do you think they did it really to hurt you? I'm not saying that you weren't hurt, but do you think that's what they intended? If they didn't intend that. Be patient, be kind, tender-hearted. Understand that we—we've all been there. We've all said things that went. I—I oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You know, it didn't come out the way I meant. We've all been there. So when it happens to us, be patient with the people that do it. Was the action that was taken or the word spoken? Uh, was it when somebody was a—they tr- were trying to do good by what they said? I've shared this before, I believe, but I remember on occasion I was sitting with a lady. She had just lost her husband. Another woman from church came by and she had a plate full of stuff to bring in. Uh, very kind of her to have prepared this and to bring it by the house for them to have to eat. And, and as she walked through the living room, she said to that woman, I lost my husband too. I know exactly how you feel. Oh. I mean, that woman went on, you don't know how I feel. How can you possibly know how I feel? And she dressed that lady down because she said the wrong thing. Does she know exactly how? She Probably not. But what she said was intended for good. She didn't mean to be abrasive or or hurtful to this lady. Um, Understand, are they trying to do good? If they are, be patient. You know, I had a coach one time who said, <clears throat> if you're going to get up the bat, do not get called out just looking. You know, if you're going to get, if you're going to strike out, then go out swinging. Um, if you swing at a bad pitch and miss it, that's one thing. That's all right. That's better than just standing there and looking at a strike go by and not even swinging the bat. You have no chance there. Um, but at least swing the bat. Um, can we not give each other that kind of benefit of the doubt? Well, I know that they didn't do the best, but they were trying. They were trying to do something good, and, and i got to give them credit for that.
And then this is the one that gets me the most because I had to sit back and I ask myself this all the time. Is what I got mad at, does that make God mad? You know, does God get angry at the same things I get angry about? Things that I get angry about and I go home and stew about, are those the things? Do you think God's in heaven sitting on his throne and he's just stewing just as mad as I am? If something doesn't make God angry, it shouldn't make us angry either. Those are some things that we can keep in mind that will help us to be tolerant, to be patient, to be long-suffering with each other. Love demand. I owe that to you. Paul said so. Here's a second thing. Love demands that we mutually confess our own weaknesses to each other. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that your sins may be forgiven. Uh, Confess and pray for one another. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Sometimes I think we have almost institutionalized that passage. That's that verse that that tells people to come forward on Sunday morning after they're convicted by a sermon, and and they confess their their wrongdoing and want prayers. Well, it applies, but I think it's so much broader than that. You know, do do you have somebody you've messed up and sinned against? You've said something you shouldn't have done. Uh, said you, you've done something you shouldn't have done. You know what you need to do? You need to go to him and say, I'm sorry. You know, the other day when I said that, I shouldn't have said that. You know, the other day when I did this, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry for Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another. That That's not just a, a formal you know, verse to address, you know, public confession of sins. But it's a a verse that addresses the way we live. We should never be so proud and so haughty that we don't and are unwilling to confess uh, I'm a sinner. And I know sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't, I don't want to confess my sins to people because people will know, they'll know that I've been making mistakes. Confession means I lay it out there and they'll know that I'm not perfect. They'll know I'm a sinner. And to that person, let me tell you something. Your secret's out. We already know. There's no secret there. We all know you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Some saved by the grace of God. And so the the fact that, oh, I I can't confess because people think I've sinned. Well, listen, we already know that. You're not hiding anything. But I think there are two extremes. We can we can be this holier-than-thou person that comes off like, uh, I, I can't even understand why you would do that. Why would you say that? How could you think that way? I, I don't get it. Wow, you are so far from Christ. Who's going to confess to someone who has that attitude? Who is struggling with sin? Who will that person come to? Will he come to somebody who doesn't understand how people can sin. If, if somebody's having trouble with alcohol, will they come to a person that says, I don't understand how anybody could do that? I mean, and what's going through a person's mind? Why would they ever do something like that? They'll not confess to him. What, what if somebody has, has been sexually Im, immoral and, and that's been weighing on them and they, they want to get right about that? Are they going to come to a person to confess who says, you know what? There's no difference in that. I just lump them all together. 
It's just like the person on the side, on the street corner, uh, trying to make money. Uh, I, I don't understand how anybody could do something like that. Well, sure we do. Well, we understand because we've all been tempted by various forms of sin. And I can't ever let myself put on this, and that's what it is, a masquerade. Like, I can't understand how people sin. Yes, I can. Because I do, and so do you. So let's, let's drop the holier-than-thou attitude. But at the, se- at the same time, at the other end of that extreme is the, the guy who wants to tell you all the gory de- details about his sin. And he's almost, it's almost like a brag sheet about his former lifestyle. Oh yeah, when I was in high school, I used to, and, and when I was, and you know, there's, when you're done and when they're done, you're sitting there scratching your head saying, was that a confession or was he bragging? You know, what, what was that all about? The middle between those two extremes is where I believe we need to be. Love demands that we be real. And when we make mistakes, we own up to them and we say, I'm sorry. And we confess those among each other and and we, we know that this is a safe place where we can say we're imperfect but trying to be more and more like Jesus. Here's the third thing that love demands of us. Love demands that we don't doubt the genuineness of one another. How many times have we said or thought, I don't think that person's for real. I don't think they're genuine. If they were genuine, why, why do they keep doing that same thing over and over again? Well, listen, didn't Jesus address that? Luke 17 and verse 3, how many times should you forgive your brother? What, what if he comes to you seven times in a day, in a single day and says, I'm sorry, I, I sinned against you, and I want to make that right. I forgive you. Can he come back six more times that same day and tell you the same story? God says, Jesus said, you better let him. If he comes seven times in a day saying, I have sinned and I'm sorry, he said, you accept that. To Peter in Matthew chapter 18, he said, 70 times seven is how many times we ought to forgive a person. Love demands that we don't doubt the genuineness of a person. Just because you do something more than once doesn't mean you're not for real. Doesn't mean you're not authentic. Doesn't mean you're not genuine. Listen, what is it that you struggle with? What's the sin that you struggle with? I dare say whatever it is, and it may differ from person to person, you've done it more than once. And you've gone to God and you've been broken over it and you say, God, please forgive me. I'm embarrassed. And, and, and he forgives you. And then what, a week later? Or does it take that long? You end up doing the same thing again. And you go back and you ask the same thing. You say the same thing and he forgives you. And, and another week passes and there you go again. And have you ever been to the point where you're almost too embarrassed to ask for forgiveness? God, I know I've said this before in the past, and I really intend to do better, and I still mess up. And here I am again, same line. I'm embarrassed, but will you forgive me? He will. The fact that you do something more than once doesn't mean you're not genuine. 
And if it did, then none of us are genuine. So don't hold people to a standard that you don't want to be held to. Somebody comes forward or somebody repents of some sin, and, well, they repented of that last year. I remember when they did that before. Yeah. It's the way sin works. It's the way our weakness works. I think some of the reasons we we doubt one another's genuineness is because of how many times we repeat a sin. Uh, I think the more outrageous a sin is, we begin to doubt Wow, he did what? Well, that, he can't be for real. I mean, you can't do that and still claim to love Jesus. I remember an apostle by the name of Peter who denied Jesus, cursed and swore that I don't know him. That's pretty outrageous. But yet he was sincere. I think another reason why we sometimes doubt one another's genuineness is because we, we lack a commitment to each other. Um, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 that love covers a multitude of sins. And, and you know, my children and my wife, or myself for that matter, um, they can sin and I'll cover that and I'll be good with them. You know, I'm not ready to, to throw them away because they made a mistake. You see, I understand how sin works with them, and, and so I'm patient because they're family. But, now if you sin, now, I don't know what I'm going to do with that yet. I've got to think about that. You know why we have that attitude? Because we don't have the commitment that we ought to have. That's what breeds that. When, when we can get to a point where we have enough invested in each other and enough love for each other that when you sin, I don't question you any more than when my children sin, that I can understand and I don't doubt your genuineness because you, you've stumbled or failed. Um, that's what love is. That's how it manifests itself. And then really the, the, and the last point is this. Love demands that we avoid indiscriminate denunciations of sin. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that not all sin is the same. I know you've heard that probably all your life. And there is a respect in which sin can separate and does separate one from God. But there's a difference in sin. John, Jesus said so. John chapter 19 Verse 11, Jesus said to Pilate, you remember what he said? He said, those who delivered me to you, they're the ones that are guilty of the, listen, the greater sin. If you have a greater sin, then you have a lesser sin. And that doesn't, you know, mean that sin is inconsequential. But it does mean that God discriminates. And he knows the difference between greater sins and lesser sins. And I think that part of that has to do with the heart that is involved with the person who's doing the sinning. Surely, we would all agree that a person who's trying to serve God to the best of their ability, and they stumble because of weakness or lack of knowledge, they don't know any better, 
they make a mistake, they sin, surely we know that God sees that differently than a person who high-handedly and out of rebellion and in spite of what God says, deliberately turns and does the opposite thing. Surely we see a difference in that. There are people who live among us, who worship among us, and they sin. But I need to understand that because they do, it doesn't mean... You know, if, if a person slips into a sexual transgression, that doesn't mean they're equivalent to a streetwalker. Um, if a person who has struggled with alcohol all their life and they, they have come to Christ and they're doing better and they put that behind them, if they slip and sin, that doesn't mean that he's the same thing as the wino in the gutter. I'm not excusing sin. Call it out. Demand repentance be taken, uh, take place in all those circumstances. But surely we can see that there's a difference. Discrimination takes work. It takes effort. It's much easier just to lump it all and throw it in the same basket and treat everybody the same way. But if you do that, you'll not have people come to you and say, I, I need help. I need understanding. That comes through discrimination. So here's the lesson for you. What do we owe each other? You might think all your bills are paid up and you're good and, and you, what, maybe you have a little bit of mortgage left. But there is one more thing. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. You, you owe each other. You owe each other love. And so don't forget that. We're body of believers here, and the Apostle Paul said, there's an IOU with your name written at the bottom of it. And what it's for is love. Let's pay our bills. Let's, let's um, you know, fulfill the, the debts that we have. And love is one of those debts. Now, uh, this morning, I hope that we've talked about some ways, some avenues through which, what, what does love look like? It, it looks like those things that we were talking about. So let's pay our debts. And I'll tell you, there's a debt that we owe to God. It's a debt that we cannot pay. We can't ever like say, well, because I paid this, we're, we're even. But it is something that we owe God. And John says it this way, if you love me, you, you'll keep my commandments. And what, what has he done for us? How much has he given us? Look at what he's removed us from uh, an eternity in hell and promised us a place in heaven how can we then not live our lives for him? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you're here this morning and you haven't obeyed the commandments of God, if you really love him, you'll do what he says. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, show God how much you love him by obeying that command this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and it's time to, to get right, to come back to him. We'll pray for you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.